Alright, um, the rest of you can open up to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to start this morning. And if you missed last week, um, we just started a little three-week series that we thought would be applicable here at the start of the year. And um, really it could be called How to Enjoy Your Bible. A lot of people have their Bibles and kind of have a deep gnawing sense that they should be reading their Bibles, uh, but maybe lack the motivation or lack the skill um, or just lack some, some starting points. So we decided we would take three weeks here and just kind of talk through some of that. You know, the song that we just sang, it's interesting that you can sing songs in church sometimes. And um, sometimes if they're new, uh, you don't connect with them because you don't have an emotional connection. You don't know where the song's going. But sometimes a new song has a power in us because it's a brand new lyric. And so we're engaged with it in kind of a different way. Whereas um, sometimes songs that have been around for a long time or you know personally really, really well, you find yourself singing these deep truths and even these deep proclamations. um, And then you realize what you just sang. You know, Lord, I give you all of me. And and you know where your heart's at in the middle of that. You go, wow, it's profound that my lips can be saying something and my mind is totally engaged on something different. or, Or my life really doesn't reflect what I just sang at all. This lyric that we just sang, I've been listening to this song a bunch this week, and and Rob and I always talk through the set list, and we know where we're going with things. But listen to what we just sang, if you were singing along or maybe following along. My God will come through always. Your promise holds true. Help is on the way. I have no fear in the storms. You're my refuge, my strength. Here's my question kind of as we start this morning. Do you have a deep sense that God will always come through for you? Do you have a deep sense this morning where you're at today? Not last year, not last week, not in a different season of life, but right now where your life is, do you have this deep calm that says, my God's going to come through. He always does. I want you to take stock. Some of you have been engaged with this book, the Bible, for a long time. Now, some of you are on a brand new journey and you're just reading it for the first time. Maybe some of you are here to, today uh, in part to discover, is this, is this even something worth investigating? It seems to be a pretty big seller. Maybe I ought to check it out. For me, it's been roughly 23 years that I have basically been putting this book to the test in my life. And I wonder for you how long you've been engaged with this book on some level and have been putting it to the test. I mean, just take stock for a minute and see where you're at. In 2005, I was in China. I was in a rural part of China. I had the privilege of getting to go on a missions trip with a a white guy that had been born to missionaries in China, grew up speaking the language, and here he was in his late 70s, I think. And we were back in China where he had grown up, and we actually met some people that he knew as kids, and it was a profound trip to go with him on this kind of teaching tour through China. And we met this shopkeeper. We met a lot of people like this, but one story in particular stands out, this shopkeeper that we met. And as she was talking to us through a translator, she was sitting there explaining different things. I was jet-lagged, and we were trying to find our bearings. But here she was giving this testimony, and just talking really, really fast. And through the translator, what you realized was, as she clutched her Bible, here she is in a shop, and God had just blessed her to be able to open this shop in this little village that you've never heard of, but still has a few million people. Welcome to China. And she's talking about her Bible. And as she's talking, just nothing's being held back. Tears are just flowing down her cheeks as she's, as she's proclaiming and talking. You realize this book 
is, is probably her most treasured possession. And the book is her most treasured possession because this book had changed her life forever. But instead of being like a keepsake version where, where it's like this was a memory and this changed my life in the past somewhere, it was rather more like this. She was still clutching her Bible and still excited about it because it was changing her life today. And you saw her on this path where the Holy Spirit came and illuminated her eyes and she discovered God's righteousness through this book. And that was her story. And she was so profoundly moved by her Bible. And I sat there just thinking, wow, how many of us have multiple copies of the Bible and multiple copies of the Bible available to us at any given time? And yet I wonder if we treasure it quite like her. It was convicting for me. I'll just review last week in a quick nutshell if you missed it. And for those of you who were here, it's good to review. Bible, anytime you talk about reading the Bible... Uh, it can very quickly fall into duty. It can fall into you ought to. It can fall into someone kind of pointing their finger and jamming it at you and, and you feeling you know more and more guilt or shame or just shutting it out or whatever else. So one of the big ideas from last week is the way we move from, from duty to delight in our Bible reading is to realize this, that the goal of it is relationship with Christ. The goal of it is God-likeness. Now, when you use the word godliness, which means the same thing, godliness can sometimes carry an air of religiosity. And, uh, oh, he's so holier than thou, or godly, or I could never be godly, or any of that. But it just simply means God-likeness. And if we're to imitate our Father as beloved children, that just totally changes the picture of Bible reading. Instead of all of a sudden trying to be godly, trying to live up to some moral thing, trying to, to put an exterior on or force our way into something, we just say, Daddy, I want to mimic you. I want to follow you in everything that you are. And the way I'm going to get to know you is in the Gospels, I'm going to get to see your son, who Jesus came in the likeness of God. So you want to see a clear picture of the heart of God, how God interacts with people, how he deals with situations, how he deals with situations, trials, joys, victories, and the mundane of walking around. do that and you say, I'm going to do this because I'm pursuing you. I want to be like you. I want to be just like you. And so Bible reading goes from duty to delight when you think of it in those kinds of terms. We talked about just the tragedy of vitamins. Now, I know you don't normally look at vitamins and go, what a waste, what a tragedy. But if you're trying to live your life on dietary supplements called vitamins, that's the Christian, that's the person pursuing God, who instead of eating a vital meal every single day from God's word, they're living off of the pre-digested, pre-chewed food of preachers, podcasts, books, devotionals, little studies, all of which are great, but they're vitamins. So you don't sit down to a nice three-course meal and you swallow one, swallow another, and swallow the other, and you're done. That's a tragedy. So it's, it's the idea of not living life on supplements. Thirdly, the banana. Um, it's not enough that you digest and eat something uh, that someone else chewed up, spit out, and offered to you. You do that for babies. That's a great thing. Um, but for you to go straight to the banana and get to eat the nutrients directly from God's Word. God showed me that at the age of 17, and it absolutely transformed my spiritual walk with, with God. Because all of a sudden, I was getting God's message right from the Bible, and not from my parents, not from my youth pastor, not from other people around me, but right from the source, and it changed everything. Finally, I said this, if you personally are not systematically, purposefully studying the Bible, you are missing out on the life that God designed for you. Now, systematically, to some of you, is like, like the bells are going off. You're like, sweet, charts, graphs, you know, 
I need a table, and you're starting to think that way. God's wired you that way? Fantastic. Some of you, though, are not wired that way. You don't know what an Excel spreadsheet is. You don't care about graphs and charts. And so when you hear that, you go, "Uh uh-oh, systematically, I don't really do that. It's going to look different for different people. But what I mean is this. To kind of willy-nilly open up and just read a passage like this, and then tomorrow go, you know, and let God do that. Everyone's got a story where that came true, but it's the exception rather than the norm. That's a little bit like going to your pantry and just closing your eye and you're like, flour! Yeah! And then you go somewhere else, you're like, butter! You know, when you put it all together with chocolate chips, it makes something really, really good, um, but, but to do it that way is, is not systematic. And so that's, that's what I mean by systematic. Um, I've got a few fill-ins for you this morning, and, um, and I, I want to start with what Bible study won't do, because uh, some of this is from my own personal experience. Uh, growing up in a, in a Christian home one week that took me to church and read the Bible and prayed and leaned on God for help in troubles, and then on the opposite week, living with my mom, um, uh, we would watch cartoons on Sunday mornings, and we would not read our Bible, and we would, we would not pray, and we would not do these different kinds of things. And so I kind of, you know, I kind of saw this, this dual life growing up. And, um, although I was exposed to the Bible all the way through childhood, um, it didn't really sink in for me until, until later on in high school. And what I realized is there are some things that Bible study won't do. And I think one of the important things as a Christian pastor is to communicate, um, not oversell the gospel. Tell the gospel exactly how it is, exactly how Jesus offered it. Not oversell the Christian life or Bible study. Now, here's some things that that Bible study will not do, okay? Here's one. The first one is that Bible study will not save you. Um, The only only thing that saves you is Jesus Christ. So, to to take the book and to think that if I read this book, I'll be saved is not true. In fact, Jesus actually looked at this uh, last week a little bit. Jesus actually says to those who knew this book better than anyone in this room probably said, you search the scriptures thinking that life is in them, but they're a sign. They're a marker to something else. So it's a little bit like your destination is Disneyland. You see a billboard for it on I-5 halfway down, you know, just before the grapevine, and you park it right in front of the, of the billboard. And you're like, we're at the happiest place on earth. No, you're not. You're just at the billboard, okay? So, so the Bible won't save you. It's a tool that God uses to, to open your eyes and to point you to Jesus. But it's a marker. It's a billboard. That's all it is. Secondly is this. Uh, Bible study will not earn favor with God. It will not earn favor with God. Or I've projected onto God the way that I function with people. And so I want to earn favor with someone. I'm going to do something I think they're going to like. Well, surely God must like it when I read my Bible. So if I want to be in God's good graces, have you heard of this? Have you thought along these lines before? I'm going to read my Bible more. Sometimes people have said this, man, I've waited so long to come and share this temptation with you, pastor. Or I've waited so long to come to church because I kept trying to, I kept trying to get on a, on a track where I, I was going to be, you know, kind of in, in good with God first. I just thought, man, what a, what a tool of Satan, what a tool of the enemy to prevent people from coming. If you've somehow earned your way into the good graces of God, the word grace no longer applies, right? All you're doing is getting paid for what you did somehow. So you can't earn favor with God by doing Bible study. Neither can you make up for sin. 
This was common from my childhood. I would sin. It was crystal clear to me. No one had to tell me I had sinned. I didn't even read it in the Bible. I knew it. I knew I had sinned and fallen short in some way, shape, or form. So what I would do is to make up for that. In essence, to atone for that, I was going to read the Bible more. With all three of these that I've just listed... You can't save you, Jesus does that. You can't earn favor with God, Jesus does that for you. You can't make up for your sin, only Jesus' sacrifice atones for sin. Now that ought to put a giant smile on your face, and it ought to remove the duty category from Bible reading. So don't come to your Bible to earn favor with God. Don't come to the Bible to make up for past sin. I've really had a rough week. I better read a ton this week. You know what that is? Foolish. Put it in stronger language, it's stupid. Here's why. The most righteous thing that we could possibly do, the best thing we could ever even dream up. Now, the best thing we could dream up is more than we can accomplish, right? Because we can imagine more than we can actually do. The best thing that we can dream up, the Bible says this, it's like filthy rags before a holy God. Once again, This is why the gospel puts a smile on your face. Because when you get a hold of that, you realize, wow, that means no matter what I do, I can't somehow measure up to a holy standard and make up for past sin. What that does is it constantly points you back to this conclusion. I must need a savior. I can't fulfill the law. I can't even do that which what I know now. And I've not been reading my Bible. I'm sure once I read the Bible, I'm going to discover more things I'm not doing quite right. I need a savior. I need a savior. That's what the law keeps pointing us back to. Finally, Bible study will not fit into culture. It won't fit in with cultural norms. It will speak into every culture. And that's a powerful and profound argument that says this is a supernatural book. That that since the beginning, it has been speaking into cultures so vastly different than ours, it would make your head spin. A friend of mine is home right now from Mali, and I've just seen pictures of his life there. And it's crazy. And the stories that he sends, I sometimes just read them uh, at the dinner table. I say, check out what my buddy Jeff is up to this week. And it's not like our life in any way, shape, or form. And you know what? The Bible is speaking into that culture and transforming that culture. Profound. Oswald Chambers said this, these are in your notes, the Bible does not thrill, the Bible nourishes. Give time to the reading of the Bible and the recreating effect is as real as that of fresh air physically. Now he's gone with something else that we're doing and that is to think about nourishment physically and nourishment spiritually and the parallels that are there. The reality is is that as you study and read the Bible, there isn't an immediate gratification most of the time. There aren't quick edits in the Bible like a Seinfeld episode where you're tracking different stories and all of that. They're not packaged into 28-minute segments. In fact, the Bible, we were talking about this at our men's community group a little bit this week, um, some of us have been raised in a generation, and certainly the generation coming after me, such that some of our learning faculties and the ability to put certain things together is being diminished over time because we're kind of trained with these different edits. And if it's not moving quickly enough, we just struggle to to hang with it. And then we say, well, I'm just ADD. I guess I can't hang with it. Let's check out what's on the tube you know, or whatever else. Think about most every web page you look at. How many web pages have one thing going on with, with just a lot of text, right? Now, imagine your Bible. 
Imagine your, your brain being trained to that. Then you open this up and you sit down to read it. You're like, where are the ads on the side? How come nothing's moving? There's no, un, you know, there's no hyperlinks anywhere. What am I doing? And so it, it kinda, it kinda, you kind of have to, to retrain yourself a little bit. Um, did I tell you to go to Luke? I was kidding. Go to Romans. Go to Romans 12 because I want you to see this. Some of you know this passage really, really well, but I want you to see this because it ties in so well. Can I get someone to get me a glass of water, a cup, Dixie cup, anything? Thanks, Rob. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this. Think about this recreating effect that's as real as fresh air that Oswald Chambers was talking about as we, as we think on the scriptures, as we work through the scriptures. R- Romans chapter 12 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3. For for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned you. We're to present all of ourself to God in worship. All of ourself means that our mind is to be presented to God in worship. And so as you come and sing on a Sunday, as you come and engage right now with what you're doing, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here in church with your Bibles open, looking and thinking, but we're to be engaging our mind in that way. We're not to be conformed. Con is with, right? And so we're not to be with the world in our thinking. Instead, we're to be transformed. Well, how do you do that apart from exposing yourself over and over deeply in God's Word. We're supposed to be testing and approving what the will of God is. How do you know what that is unless you're in God's Word? We're supposed to, each one of us, not just the clergy, not just the professionals, not just those who've been called to foreign missions, but every person is to think with sober judgment and to think properly about their own selves. How do you know that unless you allow the Scriptures to, to, to be like a mirror to yourself? and to see who you are in light of Scripture. There's so much in there that just points to, especially in the context of reading the Bible, of being engaged and being in it. Now, I've got a couple of people. It's kind of fascinating because over the years, I've gone to Mexico for the last um, probably 20-plus years, most every single year of my life, to go build homes, do VBS, cruise around, get killed at soccer, all kinds of fun things. And... Every year that I've gone down, there's almost always been some kind of, of working with your hand kind of component to it. Now, God's called me to um, a vocation where I work with my hands, but I work with my hands mostly on the keyboard, by handshakes, uh, you know, arm hugs, whatever. Um, but when it comes to, when it comes to building things, um, there's probably two people in this room who could attest more than most that um, I'm, I'm not, not terribly handicapped, but I'm certainly not just adept at. But two guys in this building have actually shown me probably more about building things, um, and they let me do it in a country with very minimal codes, so that's a really, really good thing. And I'm sure they went back behind me and checked my work so that no one died. But uh, Jonathan is sitting right here, and Jonathan, uh, of late, has been um, 
has been a teacher of mine, and he's just shown me different things. And he's, he's kind of brought me along in some, in some skills uh, building things. Chris Shelley is in the back, and Chris and I have taken umpteen trips uh, down to Mexico doing different things. And what would happen is this. Um, you know, I'd come, and I'm like eager beaver. I'm like, put me to work, coach. And, and they, you know, kind of size me up, like, well, okay, you can go over here. You know, I'm like, I'm done sweeping, you know, like, give me something else. Um, so, you know, so then I'd be upstairs, you know, or up on the roof, you know, like putting, putting, you know, shingles on or doing something. And, and, uh, here's what I, here's what I learned pretty quickly is that, um, A, the right tool makes a huge difference when you're down there. My first trip down, I remember going with no tools. I'm like, what kind of tools do I have? I'm not going to bring my own tools. I remember being up there and I was like hitting a hammer with this, like, you know, my first tool belt, you know, happy ham or something. I don't know. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. I'm like, man, this is, you know, I, I'm like trying to hit it harder, you know, and and this guy comes up with a real hammer, and he comes up, he's all boom, boom, and it's in. I'm like, wow, you know, and I'm just bummed. So I'm like, man, come on, and I realize, I'm like, give me that hammer. I took a man's hammer. I'm like, boom, boom, ow. But by the but later on in the day, two swipes, this thing's in. So a real hammer made a big difference. The the more mass, right? So the next year, I brought a real hammer down, and now I have a real hammer. It's a bummer thing not having your own tool belt. You know, I'm like, if I wore a tool belt, it'd just be for show. It'd be kind of goofy. And like, hey, what's up? Totally clean. You know? <laughs> I'm like rubbing dirt on it. But here's the thing. When you're up somewhere, and some of these construction guys are cracking up going, I could see that. Um, when you're up there and you don't have your own nails with you, or you don't have your own tape with you, or you don't have your own things, it's a real hassle. You know, hey, Joe, can you give me some more nails? It's just a pain. So pretty soon you get your own belt, and you get your own tape, and your own square, and your own cool pencils that you carve with a knife. It's just fun. Okay? So having the right tools is, is a huge difference. And then having some technique or skill is huge, too. I'll never build your house. Don't ask me to unless you hate yourself. I won't do it, okay? But having some technique allows you to work with someone who's doing it, and they can kind of show you, and they can start to get a job done. And you realize, oh, that's how you handle that tool, and that's how you do it, you know, and, and begin to produce things. Tools and method are both important. I want to talk through a couple of things this morning. And this isn't seminary, so I'm not going to get real in-depth with you and all that. I'm, I'm really trying to keep the person in mind who says, yeah, Dave, that's great for you. You're a pastor. You know, you, you got to invest years of money in a giant library by force. You know, I didn't choose to buy most of those books. It was required. Uh, you, you have nothing but time on your hands, I'm sure, to sit on, you know, in your office and just study all day long. What about me? I've got a job. I come home. I've got fringe time. How, how do I make that work in a in a nine to five? And I use that term loosely. Or you know, or a family with young kids with all these different things. I'm not trying to heap on you. The last thing I want to do is heap on you the burdens of of a seminary professor or a full time pastor to say this is what you ought to be doing. Rather, I've really tried to keep in scope and in mind, um, uh, you know, a, a more average Christian just says what, what should a Christian have in their hand. To, to, to make use with. Now, before we get into the details of it, let me just say a couple of opening thoughts about tools and skill. One is not to get too hung up on the tools or the technique of Bible study. Sometimes people get, get stuck on that point and they don't move forward and beyond it. It's more important that you pursue relationship in faith. Okay? So, so keep that as, as the, the focal point. So if I say a lot this morning, you go, man, I didn't hardly get into that. I don't know if I know any of the techniques. That's okay. Go back and listen to the podcast. Or secondly, just begin to, to do it. And what you'll realize is when you're going ding, ding, ding with a little hammer, you'll be like, there has to be a better way. There is. It's called a bigger hammer. So just ask someone. Ask someone who seems to be doing it, and, and they'll help you along. Secondly, 
Don't get hung up on the tools and techniques, but don't ignore them completely. I know some of you. I've had conversations with you, and you said, you know what? I, I don't want to get too much into any of that stuff. I just, I just kind of read when I feel moved and, and, and led to read, and, and, um, and I just kind of go from there. Here's, here's a little bit of what that's like. That's a little bit like the couple. Now we're, we do a lot of premarital counseling. My wife and I, we love to do it. We enjoy it. Um, but it's a little bit like the couple that might come for premarital counseling. And I'll tell you, if you ever come and want me to marry you, I'm going to say, that's fantastic. I'd love to. But I want to meet with you six times in my home with my wife. And we're going to run it a little bit like boot camp. I'll have a smile on my face. We'll offer you milk and cookies. You'll be comfortable. But it won't be comfortable. Because here's why. I know what marriage is like a little bit now. And I've got a lot of friends who, who know what marriage is like. They also know what divorce is like. And, and I've, I've just sat with too many teens with tears running down their face knowing what divorce is like, knowing what the hardship of, of those who, who got married and, and maybe shouldn't have, maybe should have taken the exit before, before the wedding day. So as we go through this, we're going to learn some things. Now, this is those who would ignore all tools and technique for Bible study are a little bit like the couple that says this. We don't need any of that. And you say, well, how come you don't need any of that? They said, because all you need is love. I say, look, that, that works great in movies. It's a killer song. All kinds of cool stuff. But it's not real. There are some tools and techniques that you need as a couple. And I'm not going to give them all to you in six weeks. I can assure you that. But don't ignore them. Please don't ignore them. Most couples respond to that and say, okay, I'll, I'll be open to that. A lot of times couples will sit for six weeks and the look on their face says, this must be for other couples because we've got love. But then you meet with them four months into marriage, and they're like this. They've got, you know, iPad is out. They're like, lay it on me, brother. I forgot it. Tell me again. I need some help with this. Because they've, they've smacked up against some walls in marriage already. And they're like, man, we do need love, but there's, there's other things that, that are there. Finally, I think some people blow off serious study of the Bible for a couple of reasons. One is because it sounds hard or intimidating. And so you don't know what you're supposed to do. You've been a Christian for 14 years. You feel ashamed to ask and say, you know what? I don't really understand what commentaries are talking about. Um, when I get stuck, I don't really know where to even turn. I start to read my Bible. I start on a, read, a, a Bible reading program, and I just get stuck, and I go, what does that mean? And it seems confusing, so I stop, and I'm ashamed of that. Let me just lift the shame eraser by pointing back to we're mimicking the Father. Jesus knew the word inside and out, and he quoted it often. It just came pouring out of his life. So what we're doing is we're pursuing relationship. So the giant grace eraser can just take all that away. You don't, need to, you don't need to sweat that. What an example you might be as an 18-year-old Christian that comes and says, man, um, I, I have some questions, and I want to I learn more about, about going deeper in God's word because I'm not being fed myself like I should be. That would be profound. Secondly, I think people blow off serious Bible study because they're just lazy. That was, that was me, I think, for a lot of time. I, I read it, and I, I intuitively knew I should be reading God's Word every single day. That's what I did at age 17. That's what began to transform my life. But to go any deeper than that, there was just some laziness that was there. It's hard to mine for gold. Okay, The only thing I've ever done is a little tourist thing where I did the spinning plate and all that. I mean, I got bored after like two minutes because gold wasn't showing up. I'm fairly the same at fishing. Um, but... But bottom line is this. There are so many truths in Scripture that are like gold, right? That have to be mined. They're not just giant gold nuggets laying on the surface. You say, I've read the Bible. I've tried that. I've read that parable. 
But have you mined it? Have you done the hard work of really going into it? No, there's paid professionals for that. I'm sure someone's doing that somewhere. Good for them. But, but, but that's, again, that's back to the chewed up banana that you're sucking on. You know, good for babies, kind of gross for adults. So let's just, let's just move past that. It's hard and laborious work at times. I'll put that out to you honestly, but the payoff is huge. You don't look at a miner and go, dude, you're in a black hole all the time. Your face is completely dusty. You have a giant light on your head, you know, um, and you eat terrible food. Why are you doing that? Well, the reason is, is because there's gold in them our hills, and I'm going to go mine it and find it, right? And the payoff is worth it if they can do that. So the same is for you as a, as a Bible student. All right, now you can go back to Luke, Luke chapter 6. When someone gets to Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, going to... Here, I'll put it on the screen. That sounds really hard to follow. We've only had one cup of coffee. Um, when someone gets to this passage and would be willing, would you stand up and just read this for us so we can all hear and the rest of you can follow along? Someone get there, take initiative, and read real loud. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks, Kurt. All right, what's the condition for those who built on the rock and those who didn't? It's an open book test. Look at it. What's the condition that's there? What's the, the, the difference between those two people? The foundation. Huh? Uh, death and life. Okay. Here's what I'm looking for. I'll give you the answer. <laughs> it's, it's those who did what they heard and acted on what they heard. So, so those who hear God's word, um, and those who aren't the ones who hear God's word, that's not the delineation. It's those who hear the words and act upon them. That's where the foundation comes in. That's where your life begins to have a foundation. There's an interesting word that I circled um, in my translation that says, and when the storms come. Not if the storms come and beat against the house, it's when they come. Because they always come. That's the fallen world. That's the life that we live. Some of you are shaking your heads going, I attest to that this morning. Some of you are like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember how last year started. It started with a storm. So the difference is that those who hear God's word and act upon them, that's who's building their foundation strong. Let me give you some tools really quickly. They're written down for you, so you don't have to write these or work hard at it. But I just gave you a few that I believe every serious Bible student should have in their library. Now, here's what I would suggest to you. Don't go out and buy all of these tomorrow. That's like buying a brand new, you know, Taylor 814, because you're like, I'm going to play guitar. Well, what you just did was you just dropped, you know, $3,000 on a guitar, and you strum the chords every few weeks, and it's kind of hard to learn, so it gets dusty, and you're kind of bummed that you did that. Rather, what I would say is this. Take stock of this basic library that I'm suggesting. It's by no means somehow the definitive list, but it's things that are really helpful to me and I think would be helpful to the average Christian. 
and begin by saying, I'm going to start investing in these. I'm going to invest my money to go buy this. I'm going to have this resource sitting out on my desk, and I'm going to open it and begin to learn how to use it. Here's, here's the most basic, is a good study Bible. Two of my favorite are the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, which if I was sending a person, if one of you wants to, to grow up and be a missionary, and I hope, I hope we're raising a generation that leaves uh, like some of the missionaries of old did. They packed all their stuff up in their coffin. They're like, I'm going to Africa. See ya, pops. Um, man, that would, make me, that would make me sad on the slimmest level, and it would make me overjoyed saying, wow, God, you're doing some crazy cool things in my kids. If I were to hand one resource to a person doing that, I'd probably hand them the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It's a study Bible that basically links thoughts and ideas, and um, it has been an, it, it's just an incredible resource for me. If you're going to start with a study Bible, I might start there. Um, I've got some of my books all over the place. I made some people be uh, car- carriers for these. On the bottom over here is is my my study open Bible. It's by um, it's by uh, Th- Thompson Nelson. That's one that's all marked up. It's got tons of great articles and tons of great study maps and all kinds of things, all kind of crammed into one thick volume. A good study Bible goes a long way because it puts several books in your hands and you can carry it. You can leave it in your car, your backpack, your briefcase, whatever you carry around, and it'll be a, a helpful thing to you. Secondly is a recent translation. We were talking in men's group about uh, a guy who was saying, yeah, I, I would always read the Bible in the King James, and I'd always get stopped up on different words. If you're using archaic words and you're spending much of your time, by the way, um, a good old Webster's Dictionary. Now, don't worry. Some of you are like, dude, there's things online now. We're going to get to that, okay? I'm showing you things that I haven't dusted off in a while because I never pull this out anymore. I, I use other resources. But having a, a dictionary, a plain old Webster's Dictionary open is really, really good. Because sometimes what you do, I've got a site uh, on, on, online that just gives you the definition of it and the multiple definitions of it and then s- synonyms. And your brain begins to track with what that word is and, and where it's going. But if you're reading from an archaic translation or an older translation and you think that somehow someone told you somewhere that the older the translation, the more godly you are, um, I would say throw that away. Okay? Now, I'm not bashing old translations, but what I am saying is this. They've made archaeological discoveries since many of those were written. They have, um, they have improved the language in such a way where, um, where it's still holding to a word-for-word translation. But what you're not doing is you're not spending most of your Bible study time looking things up in the Webster's Dictionary and going, what does that word even mean? And pretty soon you find yourself bogged down. And you don't even know uh, what you're reading anymore. So some good recent translations. I like the ESV, the NIV, the New American Standard translation. I talked with someone this year that said, man, my brain automatically is filling in where the rest of the story goes because I've read an NAS or whatever my whole life. I said, man, back in 1996 or 1997 when it first came out, the New Living Translation, I tried to pull it up here. It's falling apart. But I read through that Bible that year in a brand new translation. It's not the most studious translation, but it's a really good translation. It was totally fresh to me because my brain could just, it wasn't predicting where the next word was going and where it was going on the page. And so that was something that kind of enlivened my Bible study that that particular year. A third thing is uh, an exhaustive concordance. Strong's and Young's are two really famous ones. It's a very, very big, thick, impressive book. So if you walk around like this, you just get to Peach, you're like, boom, you know, like this. I mean, they're just going, man, that guy's got something going on. You have to have a magnifying glass, but um, anyway. 
So an exhaustive concordance basically does this. It takes that word and says, where's that word in the Bible? Here's every single place that word shows up in the Bible. Now you think, well, that sounds like a good time, Dave. Um, when we get to some of the other things I'm getting to, you'll see why that's a, that's a really important tool to kind of cross-reference and see how else was that used, word used and, and that kind of thing. Um, fourth is a, a Bible encyclopedia and or a Bible dictionary. Erdman's and Zondervan's pictorial is really good. What this is, is you're cruising along, you're reading, and it talks about the Feast of Booths. And you're going, what is the Feast of Booths about? You whip out a Bible, a Bible handbook, and you just read a short article on the Feast of Booths. Now, what you could do is you could go to the encyclopedia or somewhere else and try to track that down. But kind of in one easy reference is, is something where you can kind of begin to fill the, the, the picture out for you. Word studies like Vines um, begins to take actual words and say, here was the original Hebrew word. Here's where it's used. Here's how it's translated into the Greek. Here's how our Bibles got to that word's translation. Here's what you begin to uncover. We're going to cover next week some basics of, um, of biblical interpretation. Some people feel pigeonholed. They, they just feel backed into a corner when someone says, well, that's your interpretation of the Bible. That's just your interpretation. Well, what that implies is that there aren't some standards, that, that basically all you do is you find whatever you want to in the Bible. You interpret it however you want to. But you know what's ludicrous about that is we don't write up contracts that way. We don't read the newspaper that way. Uh, we, don't, we don't think about that in any other kind of context. There are rules and things that we would all apply and adhere to. And so I want to show you some of those and show you why we get to here. Ever wonder why one translation translates it this way and another translation translates it that way? Those are some things that doing a word study will begin to help you figure out. By the way, an interesting read for, I don't know, maybe a quarter of you in this room is to go to the front of your Bible and read the notes from the translators as to why they've translated your Bible the way that it has. The New Living Translation started off by saying this. I read them, um, and it said, we've decided to take every shekel and weight measurement and mile marker, or not miles, but you know distances, and we decided to put them uh, into modern terms so that you don't, your eye doesn't have to follow the little tiny B and look down and say, oh, that means this. We've just decided to take that and put it right in line with the text for you. So if you read the, the translator's notes, you'll begin to get a, a heartbeat of why they've made decisions on, on translating it th this way or that. Finally, commentaries. I've put several of my favorite commentaries out here. Um, but commentaries are biblical scholars who've gone through and they've decided to, to do some of this work. They've invested their life's work on this. And reading a commentary is really actually pretty powerful when you say, this seems like a really hard saying. Who could understand it? And so you begin to tap into other people and you begin to see what others have, have written about it. And, and you begin to see how they translate a word or they go after and, and mine the truths of Scripture. What's happening is you're beginning to put into your brain how, how that's done. Now, some commentators are really long and boring and dry. I'll just give you that right now. Some of you will be like, that's really cool, but it's like 1.2% you know, of you that are going to really get into that. Some of them are very applicable where it says, here's some of the historical context, but let me bridge it now to, to more modern day and, and, and what, what we think the heart of that is. And so, so it's a little bit like sitting down with, with a scholar, basically, and having a little bit of a dialogue by, by, by reading back and forth with that person in a, in a commentary. Let me give you some web helps. These are written in your... In your um, in your thing as well, so don't bother writing them down, but BibleGateway.com, Logos.com, Crosswalk, 
BibleMap.org. BibleMap.org is a little bit like having a Bible atlas, which again, if you're trying to teach through your, your, your kids and you're saying, here's the road to Emmaus and here's how long it was and here's how, you know, people have to walk everywhere. You just have to get that in your brain. The next time you drive seven miles, think about walking. And again, there's some cool Bible studies that went on while you're walking along. And so seeing where some of these things are helps, helps you, helps you get into the text a little bit more. Um, Theopedia is kind of like Wikipedia, but for theology, I'll just, I think I put it in there, but that's open source. If I didn't, if I didn't put that in there, write that that's open source. What that means is open to ignorance. You know, everyone can just write their thought on what that is. So, uh, it's, it's a little bit different than, than a, uh, a more trustworthy site that says these have been fact-checked and these are people who actually know what they're talking about. This could be some, you know, junior high kid in Wichita who's like, let's mess with this, you know. So just take that for what it is. Um, finally, you've been hearing a lot about Uversion. Many of us in this room are following a Bible reading program this year. There's all sorts of different ones from Uversion.com. Uh, if you go onto the, the web app, there's actually some great things on there that are helpful for you. And then... Um, some of you really like to listen to the Bible. It's powerful to hear the Word of God spoken to you. There's an app for my iPhone that I use all the time called Bible.is, and it's been the most flawless over the last probably five years in terms of just uh, consistently. You could be driving down the freeway in the middle of nowhere, and you're picking up, you know, on 3G. You're just hearing the, the God's Word read. It's really, it's really a, a, a cool deal. Uversion has uh, an audio part of it, all of that kind of stuff. Um, finally, some, some computer programs. I'm just going to mention one. Logos Bible software is a little bit intense. It's a little bit like deep, dropping into the deep end. But for so many free things that are out there, many of the programs now that you go pay for, honestly, you can get for free. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk about this stuff. I'll help you bookmark your computer so you've just got it all right there. I've got one tab that I open up that just says study prep. When I click that, I say open all these in tabs, and about 19 tabs open up on my screen. And I've just got all these things I could be switching back and forth. And it's got a lot of these resources that I used to lay out all over my desk, and they're just on my computer. So it's really cool to have that. Okay? Um, Logos Bible Software, you can look at that. Logos.com is, is the website for that. I'm not being paid by any of these, by the way. You know, some of you guys, this is not a commercial. It's not. It's just useful. Psalm 119.18 says this, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you know that we live in a time and a place where the looking glass, the, the tools for that to come true, have probably never kind of coalesced into one time and place quite like they have right now. Many of you have smart and quasi-smart phones sitting in your pocket. And, and on that is an incredible resource and tool. Most of you, I'm looking around, most of you probably have a computer or two. And you have it with you, and, and you're able to use it and call it up and have these things accessible right now. Now, let me talk about skills for a little bit. Um, we had some friends from Iowa who'd been out here for a while. They came out to work for Apple, and uh, we had them over. They're a, a really fun couple, and... I was going to call them a young couple, but uh, we, we've all moved on a little bit from that. But uh, we're eating dinner at our place one time, and we sit down. And, um, and I think the first time that we fed them, we gave them tostadas, and they had never had a tostada. And I'm like, man, from San Jose, I'm like, that's just unfathomable. They, they didn't really know how to eat a tostada, you know. And, uh, and then the second time, you know, we weren't trying to, you know, trick these poor Midwesterners. But 
The second time, we had artichokes, which is a total staple in our house. We eat artichokes all the time. We love artichokes, and so they're kind of politely looking at this, you know, this, this thing sitting on their plate. And they're like, why is there a grenade, like, on my plate? I don't know what that is, you know? And so we cracked up because we're like, we had to teach them how to eat an artichoke. Now, there's not a lot of skill to eating an artichoke, but if you just tried to find them, I mean, someone learned some hard lessons. You know, they're like, maybe this is edible. <laughs> you know, they're like pulling the leaves out of the roof of their mouth. They're like, nope, it's not edible. And then someone started to figure out how you do it. And they're like, wow, this is delightful. So, uh, so, so it is with Bible study. There are some basic fundamental skills to feeding yourself. And, and as we have two one-year-olds in the house right now, it's actually quite enjoyable to watch them learn this. And he goes, they're like, spoonful of applesauce. Bam! In the hair. It's like, close, a couple inches lower. Um, not so funny when it ends up on my hair, which does happen sometimes. But there's some basic skills you teach your children in feeding themselves that makes it far more easy than, than without that basic skill. What I want to tell you in the rest of today and, and next week it's just some basics. I just want to show, hey, this is an artichoke. You peel the leaves off. You dip. You cut the heart. This is what you do. This is what you eat. This is what you don't eat. And I'm not, it's not going to be exhaustive. It's just going to be very, very quick. Um, let me show you the devotional method. And again, I've, I've written these in for you, I believe, so that you don't have to really um, write a whole bunch down right here. But the devotional method is probably one of the most common methods. You can take, um, you can take your Bible with you. That's all you need. All you need for this Bible study method is your Bible. So this could happen at lunchtime. This could happen at a park on the way home from work or in between errands. This could happen as you grab your, you know, your morning cup at Starbucks or whatever you do. Devotional message is simply a method is simply a short passage of scripture that you read and meditate on until the Holy Spirit reveals application in your life. Remember that application is the goal. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the the purpose here isn't more accumulation of knowledge that you can like you know, shoot other people and the wrong things they're doing or impress your friends with, you know, with more Bible knowledge or something. Knowledge without application actually heaps judgment on yourself. Let me say that again. This is really scary for a, a, a pastor teacher. And perhaps this is why it says teachers will be judged uh, more strictly. That if you gain more and more and more knowledge, not only are you building your house on sand if you're not applying it and actually doing it, but you're actually heaping more judgment on yourself. Because if I understand by the written law on my heart that to steal from you is wrong, that's one thing. But once it's definitively shown to me that that is a law and you're not to do that, that's a whole different level of things. Now, if I take that and multiply that by a hundred things, and I know all these different things and continue to do them, now I'm doing them willfully. Parents, is it worse that your kid ignorantly disobeys you or willfully disobeys you? Case closed. Got it? You are heaping judgment on yourself if you are gaining more and more and more knowledge. This hit me as a youth pastor. I thought, my goodness, I'm just teaching these kids more and more and more, and some of them are getting it at school as well. I mean, we try to do, but I would shut down the whole teaching ministry for seasons of time. And we'd go do things until we'd come back and and receive more. So um, as we talk about any kind of method, let it point toward application. Howard Hendricks said that knowledge without application is abortion. 
kind of a strong visual for that. Here it is. Laid out, basically, here's the method. Pray before and after you read. Ask God for insight of what is required for your life. Obedience in your life plus a commitment to share with others. So I said this last week that sometimes God will reveal something for you. Always look at the, at the plank in your own eye, as Jesus would say, rather than for the speck of, of other people. So many times people hear messages for other people. Oh, I heard this great message for you. Oh, good. I can't wait to have that meeting. You know, usually, usually that means I'm going to get unloaded on. So look at the plank in your own eye. Look at how this applies to your own self. But, but what you'll find is this. Sometimes people will come and ask you for advice. God will have prepared you by your quiet time two days earlier. I tell you, there's nothing that starts to blow your faith apart and expand it than, than that. You go, man, I got just the story for you. This guy Jesus told it a few thousand years ago. Let's chat about it. I've got it right on the tip of my tongue because I read it two days ago. Um, Secondly is to meditate. Think about what you have just read. If you have a half hour to read the Bible, here's what I'd recommend. I would recommend you take 15 minutes of that in reading and 15 minutes of that in meditating and thinking. Now you're like, I don't know how to meditate. Yes, you do. How many of you are worried about something right now? Put your hand up. Put your hand up if you are worried about something right now. Okay? Most of us have something in general that we're worried about. You know what that is? It's meditating. You know what that is? It's sinful meditating. I really struggle with this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let requests be made known to God. So it's sinful to meditate on, on those kinds of things. That's, that's worry. That's a form of meditation. So take your thinking skills in worry And pray, God, I want to start thinking on the text. I want to start thinking on your promises. I want to think about how you always come through. Come through. So that's that's the ability to to meditate. Um, Some some uh, some synonyms for that are ruminate. Think of a a cow chewing its cud. You know the way they do it is they swallow, they bring it back up, and they chew on it some more. They swallow, they chew on it some more. Just ruminating on it, chewing. This is how I prepare many of my messages. A lot of my message time is just in the text over and over, reading it, reading it again, reading it some more. Rob and I will, will talk sometimes for worship, and he's been listening to it on his you know super long commute back and forth from Gilroy. We'll just talk, hey, what is the word saying to you? What are you getting out of this? Are you going to touch on this? And It's just powerful the way the Holy Spirit and ruminating on something can work. Thought digestion, ponder, reflect, contemplate, mull over. Some of you um, have been guilty of reading the Bible like this, where you, you read the words, right, but you don't ruminate. You don't chew on it. You don't really swallow it. And so it's the same way we all see Cookie Monster eat cookies. You know, you're like, man, what a waste of good cookies, because it just spills out all over the place. Now, I get that he's a puppet. I get that now. But even as a kid, I'm like, he's not really eating it. What, you know, what kind of Cookie Monster is this? But, but I would say this. Don't, don't go into your Bible study... Or, or, or maybe say it this way, pray the Lord heal you from Cookie Monster Bible Study. Where, where you just go through this. I'll confess, as a pastor, I do this. There's times I've just been reading God's word, and I stop myself. The Holy Spirit nudges me something, and I wake up, and I go, oh, I've just been reading without even thinking about what I'm reading. You know, Am I doing this because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be reading? Am I doing this because I'm a Christian and that's what good Christians do? What am I doing? So you stop and you talk to the Lord about it. You say, God... Rewind. Sometimes I have to go back and read a chapter again, read a passage again, and just go, I, you know, I don't even know what, where my brain was with that. 
here's a few things for, for meditating. I'm going to get Cookie Monster off very shortly so you don't focus too much on him. Um, visualize is to put yourself there uh, in, in the story of where you're at. This is where Bible atlases, Bible commentaries, Bible handbooks can kind of, can kind of help you with that. I have a much better context of Ethiopia because I was just there this summer. So when I see Ethiopia blend at, you know, it's at Pete's or something and I see a picture, I'm like, that's exactly how it looks. I know how that smells. I know how that feels. I mean, it's, it's really different. It's really, really powerful. If someone wants to plan a Holy Lands trip someday, I'd join you. You know, I'd love to go do that sometime. Just to plant yourself there and, and to walk these streets and to get this. But the poor man's way of doing that is to, is some of these websites and books that I've, I've pointed you to. Here's another thing to do. We're not going to take time to do it, but to emphasize different words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you emphasize different things, it just, just begins to turn different. It's like taking a, an object and looking at a Rubik's Cube from every angle, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. I can do. You know what I mean? So what you do is you're, you're emphasizing different words. And again, it's just kind of helping your brain think through things. Paraphrase it. Take a passage of scripture that you just read. Parents of young kids, here's how you do devotions that God will grow you immensely. Take a complex truth that you've, that you've known had impacted whatever in your life and teach it to your six-year-old. Because you know what you're forced to do? You're forced to do the work of a Bible translator. You're forced to take a, you know, maybe four-chapter story and put it in bite-sized pieces for a six-year-old. You know what you're having to do? Think about it. Chew on it. Go, what are the main things? And, and you're doing the work of a Bible translator, in essence. So just paraphrasing it, writing it out, how, would, how could I paraphrase this that it would say the same thing? It, it begins to help you meditate on it. Personalize it. 1 Corinthians 13 is a great chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Insert your own name. Dave is patient, Dave is kind. And say, Lord, I can't read three words into that without feeling convicted. Make this true in my life. Pray that into your life. It's God's love letter to you, so personalize it. Uh, write the word space pets on your, on your notes if, if you want. Just, just write down space pets. I'm going to give you something. It's a little tool I didn't make up. I'm not clever at these cute little acronym things, but this is really, really helpful, especially if you've never done something like this before. Space pets is a way to, to meditate on a passage and ask questions of the passage that you can have with you at all points. Here it is. The first one is this. Is there a sin to confess? As I'm reading this, is there a sin to confess here? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? And is there something to praise God for? Thankfulness, the Bible says, ought to be kind of like the tortilla in our burrito of prayers, right? We're always just wrapping it in thankfulness. I mean, Christians ought to be the most thankful, contented, grateful people on the planet. And it ought to run so countercultural that people go, dude, what's your problem? You just found out this, and yet you're still thankful. And you just go with a goofy smile. I know. It's crazy, right? And you begin to share what's going on in your life. I'll leave that up for just a second. Um, next is to apply. Write out the application. Uh, if you can't put it down on paper, you haven't really thought about it enough. Some of you try to explain your testimony to me, and you're like, well, it's sort of like this. And you start sort of trying to talk it through. And you realize, wow, it's, I haven't thought it through 
to where I could really even communicate it to someone. Write down your application so that you have to get to a place where you go, okay, it's not just kind of nebulous in my mind. Well, I sort of ought to do this, this, or this. I'll give you a couple of pointers for the application. Make it personal. I need to X, Y, Z. Be anxious for nothing. I need to stop worrying. Versus people need to not worry and just trust God. Do you see the difference? That says people need to stop worrying. Versus, I need to stop worrying. God's putting that on you. Make it practical. Make it specific and an action plan. So in other words, you can't read a passage and say, the application is more world peace. You know, you can't do that. Because that's just, you, that won't ever happen. You won't ever accomplish that. Instead, put out a specific thing of saying, here's what I, here's what I need to do. I had an exciting conversation with something that the, the Lord is working on the hearts of this couple. And they're like, now is the time for action. We're done praying and thinking about it. We're moving on it. So you know what they're doing? They're asking questions. They're pursuing. They're, they're walking in the footsteps of their Savior where he's leading them. Man, that lights me up. That's so exciting to talk to people who are in that mode. Thirdly, make it possible. Avoid the discouragement of putting goals so far out. You know, some people are, you know, read Outside Magazine. They're like, I'm climbing Mount Everest in 2013. And it's like, dude, go for a hike first. You know, you've never really been hiking before. Hike and then camp in your backyard. And then just build up from there. So, so some of you are like, I'm reading the Bible this year. Like, when was the last time you read the Bible? It was in the 70s. Okay, let's just start different. You know, I'm, I'm all for you reading the Bible. I want you to climb Mount Everest. But let's just start where it's a little bit more attainable. And you can start building up on some successes. Finally, make it provable. That means this. Did this happen or did this not happen? Is this changing or is it not changing? Now, some of this can be kind of hard to do. But making it provable provides some accountability and leads to less hypocrisy. And it also provides for some accountability. I had a friend who really struggled with credit cards back in college. And he eventually came to me. In fact, we came to him. We, you know, we almost had like a credit card intervention. You know? And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand my credit cards to you guys. You know what that was? That's, that's yes or no. He either did or didn't do that, right? Then every time he wanted to spend, he had to, he had to come to us with a good reason. He came up with a thousand lame reasons, and we hardly ever let him spend anything. He's like, no, you don't need that. And he's probably going, why did I ever get my credit cards to these guys? We're still friends all these years later. I just got to see him over Christmas. But what a powerful thing. He was serious about it, right? He wasn't just saying, I ought to get a handle on my finances. That's not provable, yes or no. That's nebulous. That's world peace. Chuck that. That's not applicable. Band, come on up. The last thing is to memorize. Memorizing is just committing key passages, verses to memory. Um, memorizing helps with meditation. It helps with application. And it helps with sharing. Think about it this way. Doing the hard work of memorizing. By the way, if I paid you $1 to memorize a verse in the next week, some of you would memorize a verse or two. You're like, Jesus wept. Boom, there's a buck. If I offered you 5K, if I offered $5,000 for every verse you'd memorize, every single one of you, if you thought I was good for it, would memorize at least a verse this next week. I promise you that. I do not have to be a genius to figure that out. If I said the cap was 100 verses, I think most everyone in this room could memorize 100 verses this next week. I really do. 
Memorization is hard for me. I know because I went through Bible college, and they want you to memorize a ton of stuff. I paid a lot of money to do something I hated doing in the flesh. But through hard work, what, what you do is you are putting yourself in the path of God's blessing. There are to this day verses I've memorized and not thought about in a lot of years that the Holy Spirit will call to mind in a heartbeat in a conversation that I'm having with someone. And I just go, wow, that's, that's the Holy Spirit calling to mind something that I put a lot of hard work in 15 years ago or something, and, and here it is. Memorization is a powerful, powerful tool in memorizing and all of that. I have a whole section in your notes that we're not getting to. We're going to bump that for next week. I want to close with a quick word to couples. Some of you who were married, are about to get married, are hoping to one day get married. Let me just say this. I remember having some visions of grandiose about what, what my married life would be like and how couple we would study the Bible. I was passionate about Jesus and passionate about the Word. My wife loved the Lord and was passionate about Jesus and was running hard after Him as part of what attracted me to her. It's a big thing what attract, attracted me to her. When we got married and began to start doing Bible study and devotions together, it was challenging. I had a vision of what that would look like, and we tried several different things. We would, we would try, you know, we'd try these different, you know, people would want to offer us, you know, couples devotional books and this and that, and, and then I, I would want to do it kind of my way and what works for me and what I'm passionate about. And then she'd feel like, you know, she was a junior higher in my youth group. And then, and then she'd want to do it her way. And, and it was just a struggle. So here's what I would say. As a couple, make a point of praying together often. I don't even want to slap on every day, every night before you go to bed, this and that. I don't want to make it a law or a rule, but pray together often. Some of what my wife and I found is this. Us doing our devotions together in the same room with time and space to be able to stop the other one and say, hey, I'm reading this, um, and this just makes me think of such and such. Or, or what do you think about that? That has been one of our personally most powerful ways of doing devotions together. Now, some of you have incredible devotion lives together, and you can do that. Good on you, and I celebrate that. I really do. I just want to pop the bubble, though, of, oh, as a godly young Christian couple, you ought to be having these incredible devotion times together all the time. I would pray for that. I would strive for that. But I just want to, I want to release you of, of maybe some of the guilt of that or, or some of that. It's a powerful thing to be, to be in God's word together and growing together and even serving together. But that may not always look like profound Bible study times together. So let me pray. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, some song and uh, celebrating communion. Father, thank you for your word. I praise you how, um, how it, it excites our soul. It doesn't, it doesn't thrill, uh, as Oswald Chambers said. It does not thrill in the sense that it, that it immediately appeases and gratifies the flesh. But, God, we do uh, attest and, um, and attribute to the power of the word that as we breathe it in, as we eat it like food, that we crave it more and more and that we grow up in you. I pray for my friends here in this room, God, whether they're just starting out or long since down the road, that you would, um, that you would just create a hunger for them um, that is unlike any year before. And we pray this in Jesus' name.